off on another episode of hero paranormal that's right i'm ryan the original outlaw of the airwaves bringing you a vip edition of the hero podcast we are broadcasting live from the base at la madre mountain that's right just south of area 51 and today i couldn't be more stoked about our guest ryan gable He is a very, very well-known veteran radio personality and producer for his show, The Secret Teachings. His broadcast focuses on the synchronicity and objective analysis of alternative news, health history, the paranormal, symbolism, the occult, esoteric, alchemy, magic, philosophy, and more in the most distinct ways by finding parallels and patterns often overlooked. It's right up my alley. Spending much of his life on air and having written several books, Ryan has also been a guest on dozens of other radio shows and has had his broadcast aired, well, on a variety of networks from MPRK, CBS, Dark Matter Radio, LNM, and of course, The Fringe FM. He is a frequent guest on Ground Zero with Clyde Lewis and The Kev Baker Show. Despite this success, all achieved with well, zero capital, his broadcast has also been removed from various networks over the years. He refuses to censor his content. He has been also banned from attending some conferences for speaking on subjects considered too controversial, I guess, or exposing con artists within the industry. Ryan and the secret teachings are not aligned with any specific ideology, so, well, you must stay fluid with information as it is unveiled. He holds himself to the same standards and recommendations suggested on air and his writings relative to food or study. He focuses on critical thinking, objectivity, and keys to understanding. He believes these are all, well, utilizing and appreciating the secret teachings of all ages. His other books are Occult Arcana and Food Philosophy, and the one that I just got done with is The Technological Elixir. We will discuss all of his books, probably the food philosophy one the least, because the other ones are just so juicy, pun intended. It's like really, really good stuff. If you haven't been over to thesecretteachings.info, please go over there. You can also get a hold of him at rdgable at yahoo.com. He is, well, the man. And if you're going to buy his books, definitely buy them direct because I know that that helps us independent authors a lot more than just buying them on Amazon. You would think we'd get a portion. We really don't. So without further ado, I'm going to just say my little spiel. Go to heroparanormal.com, drop a couple bucks, and next thing you know, you're a patron. You will get more content, and you'll be more content. And uh, that's that. Ryan, my man, welcome to the Hero Paranormal podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. 
You know, um, it is so exciting to talk to you again because we are kind of into the same things. And I think that this book of yours, actually all three books are just kind of like magnum opuses. All of them are just amazing. It's hard to pick just one. Well, that's very kind of you to say that. I appreciate it. I assume that you've read all three then. And um, it's probably taken you longer to read them than it took me to write them. I just kind of compiled all this information on these various subjects over the years through radio. And uh, I feel like when people read the books, any of them, they probably know more about them than I do because I don't remember a lot of what I wrote in them. There's so much content. I don't know exactly where you want to start, but I think it gives us a smorgasbord, a giant buffet of topics from health to the occult and mysticism all the way to voodoo and you know, magic and everything in between. I, I think exactly as you said, there's so much going on and how it relates to uh, m- much of the media. The media is mentioned in the books and how people just willingly throw themselves into this media absorption mode. Yeah, I, I know a bunch of people personally, other authors who write quite a bit about that type of thing. And one of the things that I talk about in my books, whether it's Occult Arcana or the Technological Elixir or Food Philosophy, is when you have something like a symbol or what people call a sigil in magic or chaos magic, we focus our attention on that thing. And so I think in psychology, you would talk about it in terms of perception and where you focus your attention and energy. In magic, it's the same thing. You focus your energy and attention on a certain object, a certain symbol, a certain idea. And when you focus your attention on that, you can manifest certain components of that thing that you are willing into existence. A lot of what we see through media, a lot of what we see through entertainment, are sigils and symbols and ideas and concepts that we're not trying to will into existence, but others are trying to utilize our energy to bring those things into existence. So a great example of this would be, and I write about the the myth of it, in my book, Occult Arcana. I don't write about the details of the uh, topical uh, subject itself in the books, but the death of George Floyd, for example. It doesn't matter what you think of the death of George Floyd. It doesn't matter if you judge without any due process of law or you wait until the, the, the legal process runs its course. None of that really matters. What matters is the symbol and the object. And so George Floyd, who had a huge criminal background and who had fentanyl and other things in his body and died of a heart attack on the official medical report in the coroner report. If you look at the death and the way that the media talked about it, you have a guy who really wasn't an upstanding member of society, not because he was any particular color, but just because of his background. And he was turned into kind of like a a cultural and a global god. And being a black man, he was turned into what we could call a black god. And I find it interesting, and it's not just a stretch, look at the mythology in ancient Egypt of the god Osiris, who's a green god of agriculture, and he's also known as the black god because he was the god of soil and because of the green of agriculture. He's the god of agriculture, black soil, green god. And when he died, temporarily, he was put into suspended animation in a, in a, a deceptive trick in the mythology played out by his brother Set or Seth. And his brother said or said, put him into a golden coffin. And so when George Floyd was buried, he was buried in a golden coffin. And the whole point in the mythology was that Set, this dark evil force, like the sun set, 
wanted to destroy the good, wanted to destroy life, just the opposing forces in nature and the cycles of nature that are preserved in this myth. And so when you take that myth and you take those symbols and you apply them to the real world, you know, you see the archetypes and you see the rituals and you realize that whether it's intended to be so or not, you can kind of read the, the coding and the matrix, if you will. You can kind of see the underlying current and the fabric of reality. And the people that can see those things, they might understand the world in a little bit of a different way. They might use that to their advantage to make life easier. Others use those symbols that are so impressed upon the mind in order to control the minds of other people. And so whether it's the death of George Floyd or any other topical subject, we can look at the archetypes in those things and see how they relate to mythology, history, symbolism, occultism, mysticism, etc. And it gives us kind of a new language and a new view of the world and allows us to, I think, in my view, progress forward as an individual. It allows us to, I think, become far more empowered because we start to learn this other language and we start to communicate in a way with people from, you know, I, I, in radio I communicate with people from all over the world who have different views and different backgrounds, but we can all agree on this one language and we can call it mysticism or whatever it is, occultism. And I think it's just an empowering thing that allows us to grow as individuals. And so back to what you said about the media, the media uses those symbols and those sigils to control the minds of people in a quite literal way, in the same way that some of us, maybe like you, maybe like me, maybe like your listeners, use those types of symbols and meditation or whatever it might be to help take control of our emotions. And that's basically the principles and magic. And those are the types of things that I talk about in my books and the types of things I talk about on radio. I just want to give people the, the realization, if they haven't had it already, that a freedom of thought is perhaps the most critical and important thing to being a free human being. And that's what I try to promote. Um, I don't promote anything else except that. That's kind of what I try to, try to preserve on my radio show and in my books. And so that allows me to cover such a wide variety of subjects to encourage people to think for themselves about pretty much anything and everything they come into contact with. I, I can't agree more. And, you know, the coolest thing about your book is, and books for that matter, is how they relate to our current times and past times. A lot of past history is recurring, as, as we're noting. And that your example of the golden coffin, symbolism goes a lot farther than people think. And, and we miss this a lot with a with a grain of salt, you know, the bread and circuses are, are still alive and active, and many people are not aware of it. No, that's right. And I think that you can look at the fact that the way that we watch, you know, entertainment, we watch media, everything is focused on a buzzword, or it's focused, again, on a sigil or a symbol, which is an idea. It's focused on rhetoric. It's focused on this very narrow, arbitrary way of thinking, and that goes for all political thought, any kind of institutional thought. And free thought overall is just kind of, I don't know if you notice this in general, but free thought is kind of stamped out, stomped out, even in, you know, paranormal radio. And uh, I guess you could call what I do kind of in the realm of the paranormal. There isn't even a lot of free thought in those realms. People are just as willing to remove facts from a story so that it fits to their narrative. And I think that that's part of, you know, human nature. But I also think that human nature is exploited by psychologists and others in order to control human beings. 
And I think that's a generalized statement, but I think we can look at, you know, apply the case studies like the Tavistock Institute or big foundations and think tanks and groups that write papers on how to control people's minds. And, I, and again, I mean that quite literally. I'll give you one example uh, that Yale University published a report back in 2020. And it wasn't based on any science. It wasn't based on anything except we know here at Yale University that some people will not take a COVID-19 vaccine. And it doesn't matter what you think about COVID-19 vaccines or anything like that. It's the principle of the matter. So they said rather than having any kind of like scientific evidence for or against a vaccine, we are going to propose a list of ways in which we can manipulate people into taking the vaccine. And so then, I don't know if you saw this, but they give a list of ways in which to convince people to do something against their will, regardless of any evidence or facts for or against it. And that's just kind of the way that everything in media, everything in popular culture, everything in entertainment works. It's an oversaturation in this form of manipulation. It's an oversaturation in this form of um, what becomes identity politics or identity science, so that we look somewhere else to achieve an identity and a purpose, and we don't look within ourselves to um, feel empowered, or we don't look within ourselves to have that. So we look to other people. And I'm not trying to be that person. I just want to provide people with a platform and with information so that they can make those decisions for themselves. And I feel, I don't know about you, but I feel that I don't really think things are so dark or so light. I think things are very balanced and neutral. I think it really depends on where you put your attention and focus that matters more than anything. Yeah, I really do think things are what you make it. And it sounds so cheesy. You know, it reminds me of like Adam Sandler in The Waterboy, but things are what you make them. And, you know, relating to humans and subplanes of consciousness, so many, so many humans are willing to just hand over the reins, kind of what we are discussing. And your book goes into this realization of self and being able to, you know, which, which is not a, not a small feat, by the way. And I wanted to read just a small part that is just under the Kabbalistic tetragram. These, this is the light reading that is, in, these, this, these books are amazing, this book series. But many interpret the four horses or the four horsemen and the seven spheres of angels as demons or elements to be associated with evil. But until we recognize these, devil, these devils are really angels setting your spirit free, it is impossible to achieve elevation of the lower self. Now, a lot of this is... Uh, you know, this is from the secret teachings of all ages, much of what Manley Hall has explained in a long time. Now, could you tell us a little bit about Manley Hall in case any of our listeners haven't heard about him? Yeah, of course. It's funny you actually mentioned that quotation because I was preparing a radio show for this week um, on the Four Horses and on various uh, biblical stories, whether it was the Garden of Eden and the fruit on the Tree of Life or tree of knowledge, and then I also was going to talk about Revelation a little bit, so that's kind of synchronistic that you bring that up. Cool. But yeah, Manley Hall was, uh, I guess you'd call him a teacher, a mystic, a philosopher, a number of other things. He was uh, a Canadian who, as far as I understand, I knew some people, I know some people who knew him, and uh, they said that he was, he was orphaned at a young age. I don't know much of his backstory, to be honest with you, I just know what he did later in life. And at 24 years old, as he began to accumulate information as he, as he got older and he read and traveled, 
he published that book, The Secret Teachings of All Ages, uh, which is probably one of the most extensive and, um, I, I would say, the most detailed books on mythology and magic and occultism and history that I've personally ever read. I, I assume you feel probably quite similar. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, Manley Hall wrote uh, so many books that each one of those books that you read that he wrote is so incredibly advanced in terms of understanding um, you find it very hard, you're hard-pressed to find any other author, or very few, who can write in the elegant way that Manley Hall wrote. And so those are the things that really inspired me, Manley Hall in particular, to, uh, to use that, that mindset, I guess you could say, I guess is what I would call it, but that mindset and that um, identity of the self and the elevation of the self uh, in all the things that I did uh, in terms of my research for each radio show, uh, I never wanted to prove anything. But as I read, you know, some of Manley Hall's work and other books on whether, I mean, it could have been Atlantis I read about when I was younger, or it could have been something on history. I read a lot of uh, Jim Mars as well. Uh, I started to prepare radio shows, and I didn't know what to talk about. So as I read these books and I learned these things, I found great inspiration in what Manley Hall had written. And so I, I named my, my show after his book. And... People like Manley Hall, people like Eliphaz Levi, people like Cornelius Agrippa, uh, Israel Rigardi, and a handful of others um, are just individual voices that, despite the fact that they're individual, they don't necessarily have big institutions promoting them today, their voices, for those who choose to read and to look into those things that they write about, are the most prominent and well-preserved voices on the subject of occultism and magic, and you find that within the writings of some of these people, when you break down and you read in between the lines, you find that there's almost like a coat in the writing of people like Manly Hull, where on the surface it looks like something that's literal, a literal interpretation, but the more you learn about it, the more your mind and your brain kind of open and flower and blossom, and you realize that that wasn't necessarily a literal thing. It was metaphoric. And then when you understand the metaphor, you start to realize, oh, well, there were literal components to that. And, and what I mean by that is that there are certain symbols that on the surface they might be good or bad. And you realize that that symbol is representative of some metaphor, some myth. And then when you study the metaphor, the myth, you realize, oh, but that symbol is also something literal. It literally means life or it literally means death. But life and death in a way that we don't necessarily think about. It's not death necessarily of the body. It might be death of an idea, death of a state of mind. And and these are the beautiful things about what Hall wrote about or what other people like Hall wrote about. And what I try to do is to show people that there there are endless definitions and perceptions of the world and of individual symbols and ideas. And it's the intention behind those who wield those tools, that wield those ideas, that will determine along with their associated, um, um, I guess you could call them energies, whether you, you, you're using them for the benefit of self or uh, for the advancement of, of an idea within a group. But there are certain things that, although they have lots of different meanings, they also have a singular meaning going back to you know, their origin, and that meaning is always underlying. And so if you take a symbol something like a pentagram, which is very prominent in Manly Hall's book, The Secret Teachings of All Ages. The pentagram, to a lot of Christians, is a symbol of uh, demonism or diabolism or some type of, you know, demonic evil symbol. 
to a lot of Wiccans, it's a pure symbol, and to a lot of Christians and Wiccans, it's a purely negative or a purely positive symbol. And so they don't necessarily um, assume responsibility for the fact that that symbol is both positive and negative, but it's also the intention behind the user. So if a Christian, for example, and I'm not attacking a Christian, I'm simply saying if a Christian, for example, looks at a pentagram and assumes it's totally evil, well, then they are voiding all the good of that symbol, and they are manifesting the evil in that symbol. And likewise, I you know, have known Wiccans who will look at it as purely positive, and it might be a good thing, you could think, to avoid all the negative of that symbol, but I think it's necessary to see the positive and the negative, which will allow us to notice that there are necessary evils in the world. And it's only by conquering those necessary evils and subduing them, like the magicians and the grimoires and the, the alchemists, they subdue the beast, they slay the monster, which is the, the beast-tile self, mm-hmm. and they allow those those demons that you mentioned that, that I had written about in Occult Arcana, those demons, to not tear up, tear them apart for the benefit of growth um, and allow themselves to be consumed, but they conquer those demons and allow those demons to do their job, to help you to advance your understanding. And so that, I think, is the, is the necessary component in understanding symbols and understanding myth and understanding you know, the concepts of angels and demons and spirits is that they are so many different things, but they are also one singular thing. And while they're one singular thing, they're also many other things. There's not really a solid place to stand when it comes to things like occultism and esotericism. And that's why it's more of a spiritual practice and a spiritual study. And I know I kind of went beyond what you asked about me. So awesome. Yeah. That's one of the reasons that I've read and studied his work and why I've kind of paid homage to it with the name of my radio show and why I've quoted Hall a lot in my books like Occult Arcana. Um, that's just my interpretation. That's how I see things. Yeah, and it's it's for all of those, the radio show is the secret teachings and dot info. It's on the fringe FM. And really quickly to get into I'm glad you mentioned that because you know, a lot of times people talk about their demons and you often hear people say, Oh, that guy's a machine when it comes to one thing or another. And it could be that some of these demons are driving him in a positive or negative way in that particular direction, depending on how you view this whole aspect. But I wanted to get into, uh, just on the basis of time, when you say that guy's a machine now, it's it's starting to verge on transhumanism. And I wanted to ver- kind of verge into the technological elixir and some of the amazing things like you you mentioned, using these tools... Technology is one of these tools, and it is a weapon that is used to destroy, correct? It's a weapon is used to destroy, yes, just as much as it is a tool that's used to build and construct. And I think sometimes, in fact, I know that a lot of the time that the tools that we use to build can also be used to destroy, and the tools we use to destroy can also be used to build. Yes, absolutely. What's so cool about this book is it, it's, it's so awesome how it goes into, well, the disconnecting through unsocial media. And I love that the, some of the terms that are used. How did you get up with some of these terms? I love the unsocial media. And how, how do you recommend people disconnect from the bad stuff? Well, the terms are just, I'm, I'm a naturally sarcastic person, I think. And um, I've you know, I've done radio for uh, almost 11 years now, five years professionally, six years professionally. 
and you, you at some point when you go do your show five nights a week, Monday through Friday, like I do, uh, you have to come up with a di- well, I guess you don't have to, but I, I come up with a different theme, a different promo picture, a different title every night, and I try to use a lot of wordplay. And so I like to play on words, and I like to kind of use word magic a little bit, and I like to be sarcastic. And so that's where I come up with some of those terms, or sometimes they're kind of already in the, the popular lexicon. Um, the technological uh, elixir, uh, as you said, it, it explores a lot. It explores uh, the, the philosophy of technology uh, and how in the modern day we have this idea from a, from a techno perspective, if you will, that technology is the savior of mankind. And so technology is kind of being offered to mankind as what I call a techno-apple. It's uh, this, the, the poisoned apple of Snow White. We're being promised by technocrats and by major corporations and even you know startup technology companies that technology can save us. Save us from what? They don't necessarily say. Maybe save us from climate change or save us from death. But they don't really define these things. It's just kind of an implication. It can just it can save us. It can save mankind. So the general thing that we're promised, and then we take a bite of that techno apple, and we realize that we're naked. We realize that we've been deceived. We realize that we have now begun a slow and then an increasingly rapid slide into, in the modern state, a technocratic environment in which all things are fused to machines and technology and to which, to the point which free thought and free uh, 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 congregation is limited and controlled, and where there will be no where in the world eventually to be able to go and be free of these types of technological intrusions. And so as the book starts out with that, and I appreciate you asking me about the technology book as well, as the book starts out with that, I tried to go into showing how technology is a tool, as you said, and that there are positive and negative elements to technology like there are to different symbols. And although the book might hinge more so into the direction of the downsides of technology. I try to incorporate throughout it, like I do in my own life, that even though there are downsides to certain technologies, there are benefits that we can still extract from them, of course. And so the positive element is preserved in the negative and vice versa. It's basically, I guess you could say, I I kind of think, and this is the way that I do my radio show, I I do it in a yin-yang fashion where the male is in the female, the female is in the male, there is unity between the darkness and the light. And so when people read something that I write, like that book, I'm glad that you really enjoyed it, Mm -hmm. Uh, but they read it and they might think, well, this is very negative. And sure, it is negative, but if you're a free-thinking individual, you can extract the positive elements from it. At least that's what I hope people can do. And so as I continued to write the book, I just started having these other ideas of where I could go with the, with the, with the storyline. Um, and I had come up with the title of the book first, The Technological Elixir, and I thought, that's a great book title. I'm going to write a book. And so I wrote, uh, when I wrote yeah. this thing and I started with um, the philosophy of technology, the main point that I want to get at here is that mankind has essentially replaced God with technology. And the new priests, rather than being priests or bishops of a church, they're priests and bishops of a technocratic elite, or they are doctors and scientists. Those are the new high priests. And it doesn't matter what other priests 
say in, in, the, in this religion. It matters what the priests of this religion say. So there might be, if you were to refer to Christianity and Catholicism, you know, there are Muslims and Christians that believe the same thing, but a lot of Muslims and, you know, Muslim prophecies are different than Christian prophecies and different than Christian beliefs. So in Christianity, the Muslim view is wrong, even though it's virtually identical. And in the Muslim view, a lot of the right. Christian views are wrong, even though it's virtually identical. And so in this new technocratic, I guess you could call it a technocratic age, where we're promised the techno-apple, we're promised the, the elixir of life through technology, it's done through the creation of this new techno-religious state, where the state is a technocracy, and where you know, forced medical things are done to people. We're seeing that this is going to become part of everyday life, and where technology has not only subverted God, technology has replaced God, and one of the things I talked about in the book, and, and I'd like to get your opinion on this, too, it's a thought I've been mulling over. It's like people that are scientists and doctors that have this technocratic view that, that true evolution is really merging with machines, they suggest that mankind is, is kind of like flawed. And they suggest mankind is flawed because God created a flawed being. Mm -hmm. So my question has always been, how could a perfect God create an imperfect being, and if that were the case, then how could this imperfect being remove the perfect God and then replace the perfect God with the developments of the imperfect being, which they believe are superior to the perfection of God? It kind of like rattles the mind. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's something I thought about, and that's something that really drove me to write that book kind of as a response to the, the view that technocracy is the answer to human evolution, when I really think technocracy and the merging with machines and the connection to all these devices, uh, literally or figuratively, is really the, the de-evolution of mankind. With TextNEC, from TextNEC to social media, the answer to your question is to walk away from it. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's any more complex than that. It's to disconnect as often and as, as quickly as you can, whether it's from social media or just leaving your phone at home when you go outside or when you go somewhere. It starts with something simple like that. Um, but I wanted to get your take. What do you think about that? Because I've thought a lot about it myself. I think, well, God's supposedly perfect, but scientists say he's imperfect. So he created this imperfect species, the scientists and the doctors and people like us, but yet we think we can create a more perfect world as imperfect beings. It's just, it's just like, it's like profound arrogance. I don't know. What do you think about that? You know, it's such a good question. And the only way to look at it is open-minded. And I think the only open-minded way to look at it is kind of a reverse engineering it from a devil's advocate perspective, which would maybe be that the technology itself or the artificial intelligence is the godlike factor and that the but see even then we're, we're just more of a carrier or, or a host and it's so demeaning so i'm with you i mean even even trying to defragment you know what i mean get it down to its smallest nitty-gritty level i'm with you it still doesn't make sense to me no and, and and that's another interesting thing i tried to talk about that toward the end of the book where i got into the entertainment industry and I even did a chapter on UFOs. There's a section on UFO cults um, where, yeah, I, I kind of discussed the, the fact that human beings 
and the entire planet, our entire civilization across the globe is being turned into a carrier for AI. And I feel like with everything from the way in which we communicate through various digital technologies and being surrounded by electromagnetic frequencies uh, and being surrounded by uh, essentially what amounts to an environment of microwaves, it's kind of like creating this this digital, what I call a digital and others call a digital sub-reality, where we're plunk, programmed and plugged into the system and we become a carrier for this, this soul-sucking virus mm-hmm. that replaces the, the essence of what makes us human. And to suggest that replacing organic life with synthetic life is somehow more human is it's in its very essence very alien to what humans really are. And so whether you classify alien as extraterrestrial or extra or interdimensional, or you see the word alien as merely something foreign, uh, it would seem that there's some form of alien force responsible for this. And whether you talk about it as being alien or some might refer to it as demonic, um, the things that we utilize, like, you know, your phones and your social medias and your smart devices, I mean, those really are the possessions that we possess that ultimately take possession of us, and therefore our bodies and our consciousness does become a carrier for artificial intelligence, um, be that it's minor, you know, infantile intelligence or something much more complex that we can't begin to understand. And uh, I think, um, lastly, on this point, there's one, there's one component to this that I find interesting. I try to think outside the box. And when people think, well, we're going to be connected to machines and we're going to be connected to this, this, this artificially intelligent uh, run artificial you know, reality, it, even though people like Elon Musk, and I talk about this in the book, they've got their Neuralink system and they want to hook you directly up to wires and you know, microchips, that's not how it all goes down. I don't mm-hmm. think Mm-mm. that might be the end game to physically connect you to something, but I don't even know if that's true. I think that happens through slow assimilation. And I think it happens through the usage of your phone and your tablet and your computer, the black mirror that we stare into. We stare into the abyss and we become the abyss and we lose a lot of our consciousness and our awareness in the process. Attention spans plummet. Our, our, our ability to communicate is decimated. And it's not done through any direct physical aggressive means. Nobody's physically assaulting us or holding us down. We're being given these devices as ways in which to make our lives easier, less complicated, et cetera, et cetera. And what happens is we lose our ability to communicate and think for ourselves in the same way as if we did have wires connected to our brains and microchips. And so the idea of assimilating us into a computer system, consciousness, whatever they want to call it, uh, you can't, I don't think you can really upload consciousness, but you could upload memories. Mm-hmm. When you think about that, it's not that they need to hook you up to a computer to do that. All they need to do is begin the upload process through things like social media, all your photos, For sure. all your posts, even things you type and don't post and delete. All of that is cataloged. Especially those. A digital avatar is created and a virtual you is created, like a digital invasion of the body snatchers. There's already a replica everybody, anyone who's ever used social media, even in a, in, a, in a minor capacity. There's a digital replication of you. Some might be more complete, some are less complete. It's all there. And I think, therefore, 
that's the way that we are uploaded into a machine. A digital replication and then the physical replication or the physical version the digital replication was made from becomes totally obsolete and becomes unnecessary. And now there's this digital environment where we've had all of our information and with algorithms and uh, a tracking system that can, you know, determine movement and, and, and behavior patterns, it basically becomes a digital world like a matrix where humans can interact in this simulation, but consciousness is removed in the process. And they don't have to hook you up to a machine to do it. All you have to do is log into Facebook or use Amazon. And I talk about that all in the book with the different systems and the way that they actually uh, run them officially. I, I think that's a very terrifying thing. I'm glad that you brought that up. It's really pretty horrifying because, as you say, once the human brain has been mapped in this way or this sequence, once they have patterned and perfectly explained what your next move is, much like a rat in a cage, they don't really care about you because they know what your next move is. And uh, it's kind of a scary position to be in. Yeah, because then you don't know if your own thoughts are your own thoughts. And maybe even, um, you know, on that note, maybe it's not so much that there is, uh, you know, a technological invasive thing, element, component. Maybe the whole idea is to get you to think that there is something far more advanced. So you begin to kind of question, are these my own thoughts? And then it drives, your, it drives you crazy. Or maybe it's a combination of both. I don't know. Those are the things that thinking out the box, because I, I mean, in terms of thinking out the box, I think those things are important to continue to progress in your ideas so you don't get stuck, you know, believing that, well, technology is bad because I don't like it or technology is good because I like it. It's more important, I think, to think, well, there's benefits and downsides, which as I explored in the book, I explained. And then that takes us through the process of, of, of exploring these ideas and the body and, and our planet being kind of like this, turn into this artificial sub-reality, this digital sub-reality, and becoming a host for these artificial systems. And then thinking, well, how do we upload ourselves into this system and realizing we do it every time we use social media, every time we log on to the Internet. Every, it's accumulating all this data. It's basically sucking the life force out of humans like some alien you know, invasion, uh, which in and of itself could be literal, it could be figurative, it could be a metaphor. And the end game of all of that is a total simulation of the real world where we don't know what our own thoughts are, we don't know why we're doing things, we're just basically operating in some Sims-like video game. Exactly. And, you know, it's very strange that in your book, you mention a few times what the director of engineering at Google uh, says and has already expressed. And one, if, I, if you don't mind, I'm going to read one. one yeah, of, yeah. One of the horrifying comments is nanobots will infuse all the matter around us with information. Rocks, trees, and everything will become these intelligent computers. And at that point we can expand out into the rest of the universe. We will be sending out basically nanotechnology infused with artificial intelligence. Swarms of those will go out into the universe and basically find other matter and energy that we can harness to expand the overall intelligence of our human machine civilization. That sounds like something from the Borg, doesn't it? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Frightening. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't really sound that human. In fact, what it sounds like to me 
it, it actually sounds very similar, and I honestly didn't think of this until right now. It sounds really similar, to the quote, to, um, I don't remember if I quote, quote the whole thing in the book, but have you ever listened to Jordy Rose, the inventor of the D-Wave computer, talk about what that computer can be used to do? Have you heard that famous talk? I've heard, I believe him refer to it as standing before an alien god, and that's about as, as, as that kind of that direction. Is that what you mean? Yeah, and I don't remember if it was that exact talk, but in, in one of the talks he gave, and a friend of mine, Kev Baker from the Kev Baker Show, give him a shout out. He interviewed Jordy Rose, which was a really cool interview, um, and he asked him about the comments that he had made in this other talk. And uh, Jordy Rose, just this guy who di- didn't even get into college wasn't accepted into college, but built the first quantum computer. And when he, um, when he uh, was giving talks on this, he was talking about how this computer, a quantum computer, could be used to go into other dimensions and extract resources and energy from them to feed our own world. And so it just kind of sounds very similar so to that, that quotation about using you know, the, the nanobots um, to go out into you know, extract these resources and this energy for our machine civilization, um, it makes you think, or at least it makes me think, uh, just like Peter Diamandis from the Singularity University said, uh, you know, this is going to happen whether you like it or not. This is essentially, this is the future. It doesn't matter if you don't want to participate, you will do it. I mean, that is virtually another way of saying exactly what the Borg said in Star Trek. We are the Borg. Your, you know, your biological and technological distinctiveness will become our own. You will assimilate. Uh, resistance is futile. Yep. And I don't know if they tell us those types of things from you know, big companies like Google and Peter Diamandis and others. If they tell us those things because they want us to feel weak and inferior and that they're super intelligent and we should do what they say, or if that's kind of just like some, I don't know, alien propaganda that we're listening to. And, and likewise, as a species, we just feel inferior, so we do what they tell us to do. You know, or if these people are just so ridiculously arrogant, they don't care how ludicrous it sounds. They're mad scientists. They don't care about the repercussions, and they're just going to do it anyway. Or if it's a combination of all that. When you start to piece it together, and I really appreciate and respect you for, you, I mean, you know, you're, I know that I'm on some kind of a right path. If you're picking those things out of the book, it's not like I bolded them in the book to, to highlight them. Mm-hmm. I, I, you're picking out of the book like some of the key points that I tried to make and that I hope every time I send a copy of the book out, I hope other people are seeing those things. So it's encouraging that you're picking those things out. And I'm hoping it's because you and others who read the book and, you know, maybe listen to my show or like listen to your show, they realize that those are not only very important pieces, but they realize why they're important pieces. Because when you put them all together, you realize, oh, these aren't isolated comments. These aren't isolated, you know, uh, um, topics. This is all part of some overarching agenda. And it's, it's completely anti-human. And it sounds like something from a sci-fi script. It's horrifying the way it discusses the trees and the animals, much like it has probably it discussed us. And the artificial intelligence of an alien form is something that you come across in the paranormal often, you know, when people talk about something manifesting and de-manifesting, it's often explained in this, in this way of kind of like a drone swarm or like these little nanobots is just 
deforming or a hologram deforming. Right. There, there's a lot of bleed over into the paranormal. And I wanted to kind of bleed over for a second and ask you uh, what it's like working with Clyde Lewis, man. That's you, You've done it more than so many people and uh, you've put in so much time on the air. What's that like? Well, I have like a, a, a personal relationship with Clyde. I met him at a conference years ago. And before I even knew who Clyde was, and I'll answer your question quickly here, but before I even knew who Clyde was or anybody in the radio industry, I, I found his show one night not knowing who he was. And I remember listening to it. And this was, I was doing amateur radio at the time at a college radio station as a volunteer. And I would look at things and I would talk about things that interested me. And I was talking, you know, in part about a Super Bowl halftime show at the time, years and years and years ago. And I first heard his show, and I, and I didn't know who he was, didn't know much about radio. And I just thought, this guy stole my stuff. Who is this guy? <laughs> and so when I met Clyde later, I realized, oh, he does, like, the same thing I do. Not, it's not because I'm smart or he's smart. He just he sees the world like I do. So mm-hmm. I, you know, I talked to him, and uh, he, he, knew, he had heard of me and knew who I was. And so we started talking, and thought, you know, we, we would do uh, very well on the radio together. So, you know, as we became friends, he's just invited me on the show. And um, I, I love Clyde, I love Ground Zero, and I, I love so many of the people I've met in radio. I just have a, a very strong connection with him and a handful of other people, uh, like my good friend Joe Roop as well. And we, uh, we uh, I think, are kind of like minorities in the world of radio and in the world of this type of subject matter. Uh, because we don't really take a stand on things that are political or religious. We really try to step back, and I mean this in relation to Clyde, we really try to step back and we try to look at all sides, as many sides, and create new sides and look at new dimensions to subjects to provide different perspectives on them. Uh, That's why I love working with Clyde, because he can do that, and there aren't many people who can do that in their personal lives, let alone on a national radio show, because they're scared of the repercussions. So it's it's pretty it's a pretty incredible experience. It kind of feels surreal working with him or anybody. I mean, I, I used to spend time with Jim Mars, and I used to grow up watching him on the History Channel, and that was surreal. Right. I, I don't even I can't put my finger on reality anymore. You know, <laughs> from working with those people <laughs> or just writing books. I was terrible in English class, and now I've written three huge books. I have. I have no clue what reality is anymore, buddy. Amazing book. It's very surreal, and it's, I'm very grateful for it. And and they really are just all magnum opus, amazing books. We didn't really delve into food philosophy, but it's because the other stuff is so juicy. And it is, um, it's, it's super crazy how the symbolism in your book, I love how you have, for example, uh, mirrors present, much like the black mirror you mentioned, you know, our new mirror mirror on the wall is literally our phone. It's not how do you look? It's how do you look in the eyes of others through this device or medium telling you this? And this device or medium can tell you whatever it wants. And and you'd go into that in so many ways. Um, advertising, lastly, I wanted to kind of get into some of the advertising and kind of maybe meld that into the food philosophy and some of these food-like products that they're trying to uh, shove down our throats. Yeah, that, that's, that's a subject that I, I love getting sarcastic about and laughing about because some of the advertisements and some of the ingredients on food products, if we can even call them that, are so ridiculous and outlandish that the only thing I can do is laugh at it. I, I can't even get upset about it. Um, 
on the subject of advertising and, and things like that, um, you, you know that marketing and advertising, and I mean you in the general sense, all of us know that it's it's marketing, right? It's just that's it's like a verb. It's the way we do things. It's just deceptive and manipulative. It's it's often just misleading. Sometimes it's outright lies. There's no regulation on certain words, and even if there were, it means very little. And so when you look at a package of food, you know, a package of food that says, you know, no sugar added or no fat added, and it could be loaded with sugar and fat, but they didn't add any more, so it's very deceptive in that way. Um, it's very much like our little black mirror phones that you just mentioned again. Because if you look at the mythos of the magic mirror, the magic mirror and the mirror in Snow White, it can't lie. The magic mirror doesn't lie. All our black mirror devices do is lie. Everything we read virtually is a lie. Anything that's pushed to us is a lie. We have to go find things that are more accurate for ourselves. And the same thing is true in terms of food and packages and you know cans and bags. Anything like that that has to yell at us, hey, I've got vitamin A, hey, I've got sugar or less sugar or I have fruit sugar, those things are very misleading and very deceptive. And yet when you go to a supermarket, and I, I just think it's kind of funny because I, I like going to grocery stores just to look around. Um, I guess I'm an aficionado. I, I love to do that. And I'll go to a grocery store and I'll just think, and I go to the produce department, and there's no, there's not like a tomato, you know, over there with a label that says with now with vitamin C. Tomatoes always have vitamin C. They have a lot of it if you eat them raw, and they're really good, and they're good for you. And if you don't like tomatoes, there's literally thousands of other products, and they're all colorful. And when you go to the processed foods, most of them are brown. They're virtually identical. They're filled with sugar and fat and salt and a bunch of other things. And, and what these things in excess do is a subject for another, you know, a topic for another show and a topic for people that are more qualified in nutrition. But I just like to point out the absurdities in some of the ingredients. And, you know, when you look at things like propylene glycol, which is essentially antifreeze, and when they put that into a, a blueberry muffin, um, and the blueberries and most blueberry muffins aren't even blueberries, they're gelatin, which is mostly made out of animal uh, bone. And then they fill that gelatin with, like, blue dye and antifreeze and, and blue, um, what do they call it, like, blueberry flavoring. Mm -hmm. It's not even a blueberry. And even if you're a vegan and you eat this vegan muffin, a lot of times it's not even vegan because it's a gelatin that they make the blueberries out of. It's not even real. To me, that kind of stuff irked me when I learned it. And I thought, why didn't anybody tell me this, you know? It's like that interview with Prince where he's like, I, I was mad when people t when I found out that there were eight presidents before George Washington. You know, just tell me the truth, and I'll figure the rest out for myself. Mm -hmm. So when I learned those things, I had to tell people. So that's kind of one of the ways I started in radio. And I wanted to share, people, share with people things, whether it was about, you know, Egyptology and mythology or it was about food ingredients and whatever. I wanted to share with people the things that I had learned. And so when I wrote Food Philosophy... And then I revised it and updated it into a second edition to include germ theory and things like that. I wrote it with basically an expose of, yes, the food industry, even, you know, pet foods are in there, uh, vaccines are in there. And it's nothing that promotes an idea. It's just like, hey, this is what uh, companies are doing. It doesn't mean I'm pro or anti anything. And if you, I don't know if you've noticed, but in that book, at the end of it, there's a section on uh, climate engineering climate change and things like that and that actually is how the technology book begins so it takes you from the basic understand the basic information about health and and, and and information on the history of like medicine and germ theory and disease and 
packaged foods and uh, fast food and things like that. It takes you into to the environment and the health of the environment, and then it takes you into when you read the technology book. It takes the 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 the, the baton from food philosophy takes you all through technology, all the way into the occult through the music industry and ufology, and then that takes you into occult arcana, which is kind of the basis, in, in, in my view and in my experience, the basis for all the things that I analyze, all the things that I talk about. And so I didn't intend for it to be this way, but um, as I'm very thankful for you pointing out all three books tonight, all three books really are like a trilogy. And it starts you in something simple like food, and it takes you in kind of like an alchemical uh, initiate, initiatory ritual through uh, a self-discovery process of food to technology to an unseen spiritual dimension. And I hope, I feel like it has you, I hope that it helps other people when they read any of these books. But if they read all three of them or listen to my show, the only intention I have is for people to learn things read food philosophy and learn, oh, MSG might not be in this product, monosodium glutamate, but they put, you know, autolyzed yeast extract into it. That's still MSG. They're lying to me. When you read about technology, you realize, oh, they're not really going to hook my brain up to a computer and upload my thoughts. I'm uploading my thoughts with Facebook. And mm-hmm. then you think, well, you know, I, uh, I've heard a lot about, you know, the, 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 the summoning of demons and magic and <laughs> Whatever your view is on those things, you read Occult Arcana and you realize, well, demons and things like this, these are just thought processes. These are just, you know, manifestations of things that we we are trying to conquer with thought and with study and, and knowledge, and we want to obtain wisdom and grow. And so hopefully when you read those three books, um, and when you follow that train of thought, and the only intention you have is to obtain wisdom and to, and to grow, then that, I think, is the purpose of life, and that is true human evolution that is the true substance of the soul, not packaged processed foods and not, and, and you know, I, I eat them sometimes too. Sure. I try to eat very, very uh, uh, simple ones like rice cakes or something, but that's not, that doesn't feed the body. Uh, it doesn't even feed the soul. What feeds the soul is information, knowledge, wisdom, and the intuitions that we have that we know something is right. We know something is, is accurate, not based on bias, but based on an inherent knowing. This takes us to the process, I believe, what I would call a true initiation into the secret teachings of all ages and into the mysteries. And that, I believe, is far more powerful than anything the food industry, anything the technology industry, anything the media, or anything anybody else tells us or tries to get us to believe. It's real self-empowerment, and it terrifies not just individuals, but it terrifies those who otherwise only have power because they trick us into thinking we have none. Exactly. And they always seem to do it with a two choice is good and bad. Like you mentioned, light and dark. I love how you see things very yin yang, much like the Baphomet, you know, people cannot deal with the Baphomet yet. I see the Baphomet. I mean, it looks just like the yin and yang symbol to me when I see it. It's just a different symbology, no matter how you look at it. It's kind of looking at you like, no, I'm not that. I'm something else. A lot like this strange, demonic things that people have claimed to have seen in the past. But I love how you bring it all together in this book series. And that's impossible, if not difficult to do. And you you seem to have done it. Can you go into letting our listeners know where 
the best place to purchase the books are and where they can hear you. Absolutely. I appreciate you giving me the platform to do that. Um, so if you didn't catch it, my name is Ryan Gable, and my last name is spelled like the actor Clark Gable. It's G-A-B-L-E. So if you want to email me, want to contact me, I'm, I try to be very personable and, and talk to everybody if I have an opportunity to do that, if I have time. You can email me by searching your email, typing in R Romeo, so R as in Romeo, D as in Daniel, RD, and then my last name, Gable, at yahoo.com. I have one social media page that I use for radio. It's facebook.com forward slash The Secret Teachings, which is the name of my show, The Secret Teachings. Um, that'll also be linked to my, my Facebook account, which is Ryan Gable. And then if you'd like to find our website and listen to the show, my website is www.thesecretteachings.info. So it's .info. I try to keep the website very simple and even kind of antiquated, so it's very, very easy to navigate. If you go to the website, you'll find our entire show archive. In that show archive, you'll find each year broken down into a specific tab. Um, some of the old stuff, which is kind of embarrassing because it's so old and it's not that great, uh, is free to listen to. There's also a number of other free archives of little collections of shows I've made from the past that you can listen to. Some of them are newer, some of them are older. Our main archive is subscription-based, but I do give out a lot of free shows because the co if the content is very vitally, vital and critically important. Um, and on the website, you'll find links to the three books. Each book has their own page. It's very easy to find at thesecretteachings.info. You'll see the uh, description of the book. You'll see pictures of it, and you'll see a uh, section for reviews from people like, for example, the Technological Elixir. Uh, I've got reviews from Kev Baker from the Kev Baker Show, uh, Leo Zagami, uh, people like Clyde. I think Clyde reviewed that book as well, mm -hmm. uh, Mark Devlin. Uh, and then uh, people like Jim Mars reviewed my Occult Arcana book. Um, I've got a couple of uh, doctors, like Dr. Uh, uh, I think it was Dr. Betty Martini, and some others that reviewed food philosophy. So there's a lot of stuff about the books on the website. The subscription uh, to the archive gets you access to the digital versions of those books. And then also, I have a montage archive with all the montages that I'll play on the show as well. So that's at www.thesecretteaching.info. The show is five nights a week on The Fringe. Dot .fm or simply fringe f r i n g e dot .fm it's it's all killer no filler it's that's the truth and you know it's <laughs> I like that. it's too bad we didn't get into some of the darker but you can't you, and you attack it i i mean this this is kind of what we were discussing so many of us do not attack some of these things out of fear but all of the mask policies and symbolism there really goes into some deep stuff that we weren't even able to get into, but that maybe that's a good thing. It, it might be a good thing uh, for a positive reason, because maybe we could do another show on it very, very soon and talk there about you go. it. Mm -hmm. There you go. Because it is and has been something used by secret societies for a very long time. Masks allow those who rather not be, well, identified to do things that they re usually wouldn't do. Yes, and you should also, I, I assume you know this, but if your listeners don't, 
in the 16th, I think it was 16th, 17th century England, um, in other parts of Europe, they'd wear something called a shame mask. Ooh. And people that wore the mask were being shamed for doing things that were considered societally unacceptable. So there's a relationship to that, as well as there is to sadism and masochism, which I call masochism, and what I call cultural BDSM. And, you know, a lot of people it's obviously dark. suffer from Stockholm Syndrome, and the mask plays into that as much, I think, as it plays into what you just said in relation to uh, initiation rituals and secret societies and things like this. So, yes, we can talk about on another show if you'd like. Oh, man, I would so like to do that. That would be so epic because, yeah, the fear-based, just total, just, you know, giving up, it's just crazy. We have to leave it for another show. There's just not time this time, but I can't thank you enough for coming on, Ryan, and I, I hope to talk to you again soon. You got it. Well, there he is, really the best mind at, you know, delving deeply and darkly without any apologies into the light and dark, which you kind of have to do if you're going to understand, uh, well, some of the occult arcana involved with so much in Americana and throughout the world symbolism. Symbology is very important, as anyone will tell you if it wasn't. Well, we wouldn't have things like flags. So until next time, guys, uh, check out thesecretteachings.info, and support Ryan by grabbing his three books. They're definitely, you'll get more than your money on each and every one. And lastly, not to just promote, 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 but um, check out hairparanormal.com. That's it. Until next time, keep your eyes to the skies, feet on the ground, but don't forget to take a look around. Time machine, third eye feeling like it need visine. Blast off, blast off, blast off, blast off. Come blast off in my time machine, third eye feeling like it need visine. Blast off, blast off, blast off, blast off. Come blast off in my time machine, third eye feeling like it need visine. Blast off, blast off.